Lord, we thank you and praise you that indeed, that because of the cross, we will one day wear a crown. Lord, but crowns that we will then take and cast at your feet, because you are worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be honored. Lord, we thank you for the promises in your word. We thank you, Lord, that our relationship with you does not end here on earth. But Lord, this is just the beginning. This is but a vapor in comparison with eternity. Lord, we ask as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And Lord, as we remember a dear brother that those who are here, we would, be, we would comfort one another. Be a source of strength and encouragement to each other, Lord, as we are so thankful for the fact that we know that our beloved brother Jack is now in your presence where he will be forevermore. And Lord, it's not goodbye, but see you soon. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you've never been here before, we hope you feel welcomed and loved. And if you've been coming here forever, I still hope you feel welcomed and loved. Amen. All right, quickly, somebody, uh, there's a white pickup out front with a license plate 2V36704. You left your lights on. So you might want to get that, or we can help jumpstart your car afterward either way. All right, before we get in the Word, a couple things. One, I'm a grandpa. So I'm very excited about that. So Titus Michael Utili was born on, on Friday early morning and seven pounds, one ounce, and most beautiful child I've ever seen, but I'm not biased. It is kind of cool, though, that his name is Titus, and he was born on 2-6. And being, you know, the kind of guy I am, I thought, I wonder what Titus 2-6 says. And so it says, and paraphrased, I exhort you, young men, that you live sober-minded. I thought, what a perfect verse for a young man to start his life. So Titus Michael, and just be praying for them. They're at home, and everybody's doing great. My daughter's doing great, and we're really excited. What a blessing. Those of your grandparents, you know what I'm talking about. All right, well, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, before we get into the text, and you'll notice we're not in 1 John this morning. Uh, this morning, you know, we, one of the things I talk about a lot here is we are more than a fellowship. We are a family. Amen? And when we gather together, we really are a family. And as a family, the Bible says we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And in a sense, we're going to do both of those things this morning because part of this morning's service, we're going to spend a few moments and remember a very dear brother. If you've got your bulletin, there's a little flyer in there about Jack Gardner. And some of you may not even remember, some of you know him very well, and some of you may not really know his name, but just remember he was the guy that was always serving you. And Jack was always sitting up here in the front row and and I just love this man dearly. And even though I only had a chance to know him the last few years of his life relative to the 65 that he was here, I mean, I just really grew to love him. And to know Jack was to love him. Amen? Just a sweet, kind, and wonderful man. And I'll tell you what, sometimes when you do, I've done a lot of memorial services, and sometimes it's hard to think about what to say about somebody. It's not hard when it comes to Jack. I can honestly tell you that I don't think I've ever met a more loving person, or a more gracious person, or a more compassionate person. And, you know, he, even though he was struggling physically, and he would often come up after church for prayer for different things he was struggling with in his body, even though he was struggling physically, he loved to serve others. He really lived for it. And that's a picture of our Savior. You know, that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant of all. 
And that was Jack's heart. He would come, and every time we had church, he was here. If it was Sunday morning, Wednesday night, if it was a men's Bible study, if it was the singles group, wherever he could be around God's people, he wanted to be there. And I can't tell you how often he would tell me how much he loved you guys. It was constant about how much he loved being a part of this body. He saw serving as both a privilege and a form of worship. You know, the Bible says if you give even a cup of cold water in his name, and Jack was famous for that. He would also love to bring like little fluorescent crosses on Wednesday nights that he got at the dollar store and give them to every kid in the church. And I just love that he was always thinking about other people and such a kind and loving and a gracious man. He was also a man, and I, and I know he will be, and I'm going to speak a little bit for Jack this morning. I know he would not be ashamed for me to tell you that he was so often moved to tears. And most often when I would get done teaching a message, he would sit right here in the front. He would be the first one up here. And he would have tears running down his face just about how thankful he was for what he had learned in the message that morning about the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God. And he was always the first guy up here to give me a big bear hug, and I'm going to miss those. Got to love Jack. Tender-hearted man. And the Bible tells us that we do grieve, but we do not grieve as those without hope. Amen? You know, Christians die well. As we're going to see in this morning's text, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If someone comes and tells you that Jack died, they're wrong. He didn't die. He just moved to a much better neighborhood. Amen? He left behind this tent and he took on a perfect body where there's no more pain and there's no more death and there's no more sorrow and there's no more physical ailments. And you know what? Praise God. Amen? Amen. We can't clap for that. You know, I will say this too, that right now, not only Jack, but many of you have had loved ones go to be with the Lord recently. We as a church have seen a lot of that lately, haven't we? And you know, again, I think it's good to be reminded that this life is but a vapor. And the time that we have here is so brief compared to eternity. And it's not, you know, how well clothed we are here or how big of the, the houses that we live in here, but it's what we do for the kingdom of God that matters the most. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And Jack was not a, a really rich man, and some of those who have passed away here in our fellowship in the last couple of months weren't necessarily rich from the world's perspective, but boy, you can't get any richer than having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jack was as rich a man as I've ever met a loving man and a gracious man. You know what I love is that he would often serve, and most often he served in places where he wouldn't be noticed. He served without fanfare. But guess what? In a sense, and don't take this wrong, but Jack had a fan. His name's Jesus Christ, because when Jack stood before him, you know, he closed his eyes on earth and he opened them up in glory, and the words that he heard from our Savior were, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Guys, that's the best retirement plan you can ever get. Amen? To be in heaven with Almighty God forever and ever. I know a lot of his family is, is here, and I know he had invited them to come you know, for a long time because he wanted them to know you the way he knows you. And he wanted them to see what was such a significant part of his life. So to his family, I'm really glad you guys are here, and I do hope you feel welcomed, and we know, you know that we love you. Amen? So... With that being said, I also know Jack's heart that he'd probably be embarrassed that we spent this much time talking about him because he didn't really like that. 
He would always want to point people to the Lord. Amen. He'd say, Jack, thank you so much. Oh, praise God. You know, give God the glory. And with that being said, I'm going to share a passage that should be a source of encouragement to Jack's family, but a source of encouragement to all of us, because we're all part of his family, amen? But a source of encouragement to all of us who've had family members close to us pass away, and those that we know, you know, we're all going to face it. If you haven't faced it yet, you're going to, because the results are in, one out of every one person dies, amen? But the good news is, again, as Christians, we really don't die. Because we close our eyes here and we open them up in glory. And that's what this morning's text is going to talk about. About the the peace and the joy that we can have in understanding what eternity is all about. So it's actually one of the verses that's on the the little flyer there. 2 Corinthians 5.8 To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're going to take a look at that whole chapter this morning. And we're going to talk about the power of redemption. Remember this letter was written to... The Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're not there, the Corinthian church, the Corinthian, the church in Corinth, Corinth was the most wicked city on the planet, filled with idolatry, just very sinful. Some people have called it First Californians as opposed to First Corinthians because, hey, if that hits you where you live, I, I was raised here, I can say it. I mean, let's face it, we don't live in the most godly place, but guess what? Our God is in control here and he's faithful here. And we can serve him here. Amen? And this letter was written, and it was a word of exhortation to those living in such an idolatrous and wicked time. And he encourages them, you know, he reminds them of the cross. He tells them not to lose heart. Yeah, things around you are bad, but our God is still in control. Don't be taken away by all the wickedness and perversion around you. You walk holy and continue to serve and know the true and living God. And so as we come to this morning's text, if you're a note taker, we're going to look at that power of redemption. And that if you're here this morning, maybe you're, you just came because you're a friend of Jack's, can I tell you that the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. And I pray, and I know if, I, if Jack could stand here next to me this morning, he would say, Pastor Dave, tell him how to be saved because heaven is real and I know it firsthand. Amen? And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, don't leave here without him, and more importantly, don't leave earth without him. Amen? So, each one of us needs to be redeemed. And in redemption comes a power that comes with that redemption. And so again, if you're a note taker, the power of redemption, when we've been redeemed, redeemed, been purchased back, that's what it means. We were once lost, but now we're found. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but we've been redeemed through the shed blood of our Savior. And because of that, There are promises that we can trust in. Promises that days like today, when we look back on the life of someone who is dear to us, should be a source of encouragement to every one of us this morning. So if you're a note taker, the power of redemption. First, we're going to see a heavenly perspective. When you've been redeemed, you have an eternal and a heavenly perspective. A longing for heaven and no fear of death. Death does not have a sting for the Christian. Amen? There was no sting for Jack in his death. He closed his eyes on earth and he opened them up in glory. Not only a heavenly perspective, but a heavenly priority. A desire to live a life that is pleasing to God in anticipation of standing before him one day. But not only a heavenly perspective and a heavenly priority, but a heavenly passion. You know, to be besides ourselves for Christ, to love the love of Christ compelling us to live different. Finally, then a heavenly transformation and then to see that it required a heavenly sacrifice. We're going to look at a lot of verses and go through them fairly quickly, so let's, 
let's get on let's get started here so it says there in verse one the power of redemption we're first going to look at a heavenly perspective if you're here this morning and you're so focused on this world can i tell you you're going to walk around grieved overwhelmed by your circumstances most of the time amen How many of you in your life right now, every circumstance about your life, your health, your kids, your family, your finances, your job, everything is absolutely perfect as we speak? Raise your hand. Nobody. So if your joy is based on your circumstances, you're not going to be happy very often. But if your joy is based on who you know and how you know him and what your future holds, you can have joy all the time. Amen? Not based on your circumstances, but in spite of them. So it says there, for we know. We know. Guys, Christianity is not a hope so. Amen? And uh, heavenly eternity is not a hope so. If you're here this morning, and if I ask you the question, are you going to heaven? If you said, I hope so, you need to get to know Jesus Christ, because it's not a hope so. Hope so is I hope because I've been doing good works that I'll somehow squeak in. Guys, you can't be good enough. And, and again, Jack and others who have gone the, in the last couple months from this church, wonderful people, but they're not in heaven because they were good, but because they have a good Savior who saved them. Amen? And certainly, we see those who come to know Christ, we see that reflection of Him coming out in their lives, as we certainly saw in Jack's life. So it says this, we know, not we think or we hope, having been redeemed, having been purchased back by the blood of the Lamb, Paul knew what awaited him at the end of his life, and Christians need to have that outlook on death. If we have that outlook, we're not going to say how tragic it was for so-and-so to die. It's only tragic if you think this place is better than heaven. And again, if you think that, you need to get an adjustment. Amen? Heaven is going to blow doors on this place. Amen? I'll never forget being at a pastor's conference with Calvary San Jose when I was an assistant pastor there, and we were out looking out at Half Dome. It's a beautiful sight. One of the other pastors said, boy, what a beautiful sight. And Pastor Don, who was our senior pastor at the time, he said something that stuck with me, and he goes, you know, as beautiful as this is, it's a dung heap compared to heaven. (laughs) And the most beautiful place on this planet is a dung heap compared to heaven. We're not going to get to heaven and be disappointed. Jack didn't show up and go, is this it? I thought it was going to be better. Now that didn't happen, amen? Heaven's so much better. And guys, we ought to be encouraged by that. It's not tragic. How tragic? I feel sorry for so-and-so. They died so young. I had a 30-year-old guy from my a worship leader in our youth group in San Jose, and several people say to me it was so tragic he had died so young. You know what? He just got to the presence of Almighty God sooner. And God numbers our days, and nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. And God knew exactly when Jack would come to be with him, and when each one of us will go to be with him as well. It says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So the body you carry around, he refers to it as a tent. Remember, what was Paul's occupation? He was what? He was a tent maker. And if anybody knew anything about tents, it was Paul. And Paul would spend time, you know, erecting tents, putting them up, carrying, you know, creating them, all this stuff, building them, and building them. But you know what? He realized that what he was building while he was to do his work as unto the Lord, it was temporary. 
Can you imagine if somebody spent their life savings on a tent? Santa Cruz, that could happen actually, but you know, the point is, how foolish would that be to spend everything you have on that which is temporary, that which you know is going to fail? And the same thing happens today. These are just earthly tents. You know, this is, this is not me. This is not you. This is just the skin that covers you and covers me. Amen? Who we are is who we are on the inside. And this is just a temporary body that we carry around. And at one point, this body, because it's temporary, is going to fail. But while our bodies will fail, we will endure. Why will we endure? Because God doesn't create anything that's finite. You are infinite beings, every one of you. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. Paul, the tent maker by trade, appreciated you know, what it meant to be a craftsman and, and a, the craftsmanship of a well-made tent, but he also knew that tents were indeed temporary. And for Christians, death is moving out of this decaying tent and into a perfect eternal home, as it says there in that verse. Guys, I can't wait to get to heaven. And certainly there are times when we have great joy on earth, but nothing's going to touch the joy of heaven. He says there that these temporary tents are not made with hands, you know, like the temporary dwellings made by men, but a glorious mansion made by God. Jesus said in John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus has been in heaven for 2,000 years preparing a place for you. He created this earth in seven days. How awesome is heaven going to be? Amen? Don't grieve for those who move from a tent to a mansion. We can be envious. We can miss them. But we don't grieve, amen? We grieve for ourselves. We don't grieve for them. We don't have to grieve for Jack and others who have passed away recently. We don't grieve for them. We grieve for ourselves because we're going to miss them. But I promise you, as much as they love you, as much as they love us, if they could come back, not so much. Let me think about that. No, I'll see you when you get here. I'm in the mansion. You're in the tent. When you sell the tent, come on over. Amen? Can I encourage you that heaven is so much better? So again, Christians don't die. And we not, and again, I'll tell you, when I, if, if I die, don't weep for me. And we should not, again, we weep as we miss each other. But we do not weep for the person. We truly weep for ourselves. Paul was ready to die. Because he had a proper outlook on death. He had been through all the trials of life. And he knew that when this tent, this earthly tent failed, that he would be in God's presence. Verse 2. For in this we groan. While we're in these bodies, we groan. How many got up this morning and groaned? You know, I'm, I'm 45 in this body. Just not bouncing back like it used to. You know, you get up and you, oh man, you're sore. And I went and worked out with my, one of my sons and, you know, I was sore for like, it used to be sore for like, a, you know, a few hours. I'm sore for a week. I'm like, man, I'm going to do that again, right? And we groan because these bodies are subject to pain and decay. You know why we hurt? Because of sin. Why do these bodies fail? Because of sin. You know, before in the Garden of Eden, there was no death until there was sin. Sin brought forth death. And it's because we live on a sinful planet and because we are all sinners, our bodies fail. From the moment we're born, they begin to fail. But praise God that we're not going to drag these sinful dead carcasses around forever. 
Amen? Praise God that one day the Lord's going to bring us out of this and into the presence of Almighty God, where again there is no more sin and no more death. So we groan earnestly desire, desiring to be clothed with our, our habitation, which is from heaven. See, there's a groaning within us that desires to leave this behind and to be in God's presence. As Christians, we should have that heavenly perspective, that heavenly outlook, a realization that this life is temporary. Now, the mansion, uh, uh, you know, a probable reference, not to a, it could be to a big house, but, you know, some people think, well, I'm going to live, you know, you're going to get to heaven. Okay, Dave, you live at 101 Glory Lane. You know, go down Hallelujah Avenue and turn right on Glory Lane, and that's your place I've been preparing for you. But you know what? I have an idea, and, uh, you know, this Pastor Dave's opinion, that the mansion he's talking about could also be a description of our heavenly body that we're going to dwell in. Because I can't imagine going home in heaven. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. But you're in the presence of Almighty God. Okay, you know, I'm done worshiping, I'm going to go home. Guys, we don't have to sleep, right? No taking a nap in heaven. No, you don't have to go to the doctor, praise God. You're not going to be sick. There's not going to be any memorial services to attend, everybody, right? We're not going to have to have a revival or, you know, why? Everybody's already saved, Amen. So heaven is going to be a continuous worship service. And he's going to clothe us in a way that we will love it, be able to be in his presence, we will know as we are known. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. And a glorious, custom-made, eternal body made just for you. Aren't you glad? Jack's in his right now. And those that you've loved and have gone to be with the Lord are there today. Verse 4 Verse 3, excuse me. If indeed having been clothed, we shall be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, the mortality may be swallowed up by life. You know, not that we might be without a body, but that we might go to the greater body that God has for us. That we not, might not just float around, you know, in, in the philosophers, the Greek philosophers, the highest level of existence was just to be a spiritless, you know, bodiless spirit. You know, the Buddhists seeking nirvana want to leave all behind that is in the body and become an essence, a, you know, the state of a snuffed out candle it's described as. Dude, I do not want to have the state of a snuffed out candle. I want to be in the heavenly body that God created for me, leaving this temporary tent behind, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? And not just floating around some essence in the sky somewhere, but truly more alive than we've ever been in the presence of Almighty God. As Christians, we do not seek to become an essence, but to leave these tents behind and to move into the heavenly bodies made without hands. As born-again Christians having been transformed by the power of redemption, we should long for heaven and have no fear of death. It's been said, and I said it earlier, Christians die well. They really do. And again, Jack's family's here, but they know he was saved. And those of us who know Jack know, he was, know he's saved. And here's the thing, we do. We, our hearts break because I want a bear hug after the service today. I really do. But I praise God because I know where Jack is. And the same is true for every one of us here this morning. If you know the Lord, you have nothing to fear in death. You have nothing to be afraid of. You need not, you know, the Bible, you know, the Bible, the world says the two things people fear the most is death and public speaking. I don't fear either one, obviously. But here's the point. 
Here's the point, guys. For us, death is graduation day. Death is not something that we try to make happen because that would, that's what happens in God's timing and it's according to His perfect will. So while we're here, we need to be faithful. But know this, that when we do die, things are going to get so much better. And so how do we know? How do we know that this promise of heaven applies to me? Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, well, man, I've gone to church some, or I've done this, and I'm not really sure if I'm going to heaven. How do I know for sure I'm going to heaven? Read verse 5. It says, now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The word guarantee there means earnest money or a down payment. If you're going to heaven, you've been given a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit who came to live inside of you. The reason you know for sure you're going to heaven is that when you confess your sin and you cried out and asked him to be your savior and he said, I want you to be the Lord of my life, he gave you a down payment as the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you and now you are a different person. Your thoughts are different. Now, do you still struggle with sin? What's the answer? But the difference is that when you sin, you're convicted. And if you're living a sinful life and there's no conviction, there is no Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Word of God talks about the Holy Spirit in three ways. He can be with you. The world calls Him their conscience. But then once you're born again, the Bible says He breathes the Spirit in you. So the Holy Spirit goes from being, you know, the outward, to living inside of you. Ownership papers, adoption, you're His child. You're going to heaven. The Bible also talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon you, flowing out of you. And so we see that this is the transformation that takes place. This is how we know we're going to heaven. If you're here this morning and you don't know whether or not you've got the Holy Spirit, you need to be born again. Because if you've been born again, you will know. But, you know, I still struggle with things. Let me ask you a question. Are you convicted when you sin? Are you comforted during times of trials and difficulty? That's why the Holy Spirit came. It says there, Verse 6, so we, all, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So we're confident in the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of our lives, the assurance of heaven, that even while we're at home in this temporary tent, even while we are not in His presence yet, we can walk in confidence. Again, not arrogance, not self-righteousness, but confidence because God is faithful to His promises. Amen? If he tells us something, he's always right and he never changes his mind. And praise God that we can walk confident that this is a temporary tent. It says in verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. The word faith is described in Hebrews 11 as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We have faith because we have not seen Jesus face to face yet, but we've been given a down payment in, the, in God living inside of us, though we'll never be God, God lives inside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, we have the confidence that we're going to heaven. If you don't have that confidence this morning, today's the day of salvation. It says that we walk by faith. We live out our daily lives by faith in the God who dwells in us and around us. Not by sight. The Greek word there is not by appearance. Not governed or influenced by what we see, not by our experiences, not by our circumstances, but by faith in God's Word, in His Spirit, and in His promises. Guys, it would be easy for every one of us to look at different parts in our life where we would be overwhelmed. 
For some this morning, you could be overwhelmed. But here's the good news. Our faith is not based on our circumstances. Faith can only be as strong as the object or the one you place your faith in. Praise God your faith wasn't in the stock market. Amen? Or the equity in your house. Praise God. Our faith is in the one who will never change. The creator of the universe. The alpha and the omega. Almighty God. Our faith is in him and he's always going to be God. Amen? You've heard me say it many times. There are two things that are undeniable and always true. There is a God and you're not him. Amen? And because there is a God and a faithful God and a loving God and a gracious God and a merciful God, a God of promises, a God who's given us his word and written it all down for us, we can live a life confident that we are going to heaven because he has told us so. Amen? We have only so much time to live a life for him. Verse 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Guys, if you haven't underlined that verse in your Bible, fix that. Because, boy, that's a verse we ought to underline. Amen? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Guys, there is no purgatory. Amen? There's no soul sleep. Some would teach you fall asleep and someday you wake up. No, that's not what happens. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You close your eyes on earth, you open them up in heaven. It's instantaneous. Man, I can't wait. That is good stuff, isn't it? What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today, you're going to fall asleep for a very long time and some point in the future, you'll be with me in paradise. Is that what he said? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Amen? That's because death has no sting for the believer. We leave this tent and we enter into glory. And here's the best part of heaven. To be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Amen? Guys, that's the best part of heaven. We talk about the streets of gold, and that's great. And we talk about the crystal sea, and that's wonderful. And we talk about seeing the people that we've known before, and that's going to be incredible. But guys, the best part about heaven is Jesus Christ is there. And guys, we're going to see him and be able to see him forever and ever and ever. Is that good or what? Guys, gold is asphalt in heaven. Do you understand that? I don't think we're going to be walking around going, ooh, check out the gold streets. I think it's going to be as insignificant as asphalt is here. Why? Because Almighty God is there. And He's the focal point. Amen? What a, can you imagine? What are those worship services going to be like in heaven? Can't wait to get there. The power of redemption, it gives us a heavenly perspective, a longing for heaven, no fear of death, the ability to be in the Lord's presence, our sin forgiven and removed from us. Not only does it give us a heavenly perspective, but a heavenly priority. Look at verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Whether in this body or not, my desire ought to be to please God. Lord, be glorified in my life, and Lord, be glorified in my death. You know what? And again, I don't want to put too much focus on Him because it would drive Him nuts. I probably, But you know what? God is glorified in Jack's death. Amen? Like I said, he didn't really die. In in him moving out of his tent, God is glorified. 
And for us who know God, moving out of our tent, God will be glorified. I pray that every time a Christian leaves these tents behind and goes to heaven, that we can come to a place where it's much more of a celebration than it is us being in a place of being overwhelmed by mourning. Again, we mourn and we grieve, but not as those without hope. And I keep saying that, but I keep saying it because we need to be reminded of it. The world around us who doesn't know God, there is no tomorrow. There is no hope. But guys, we're different, amen? We have hope and we have a proper perspective and it should produce a heavenly priority. Some things can only be done while we're in this body. And we need to make it our aim, whether in this tent or absent from it, to be well-pleasing to Him. Guys, when we get to heaven, it's going to be too late to witness to our family. Amen? Too late to witness to our co-workers. Too late to use the gifts He's given us on earth for His kingdom and for His glory. That's why it's so important that we be busy about His work right now. There's no take two to this life. There's no do-overs. Amen? There's no circle of life. You know, there's no reincarnation coming back and going, no, 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 no. It's appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. That's it. And guys, we have this amount of time to serve the Lord. Lord, help us to use the time we have to live lives that are well-pleasing to Him and fruitful. To live lives of prayer interceding for others. To use the gifts you've given us for your glory. He says this, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now this could be misunderstood to be the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment. He's talking to Christians here. What he's saying is, and we'll see this, it's in Revel, you know, later you see it in, in the Word of God described more uh, in depth, but The reference is believers becoming before what is called the Bema Seat of Christ. And it speaks of like an Olympic judge's seat. Competitors come to receive their reward based on how well they performed. Now again, we don't get to heaven because we do good works. Amen? But because we've been born again, our lives should change. Our priorities should change. Our actions should change. And we will stand before Almighty God one day, and we will give an account for how faithful we've been to use the gifts He's given us for His glory. Every one of us has been given gifts. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you're called by God to use them for His glory. Amen? And one day we'll be accountable for how faithful we were with the gifts He's given us. Today we need to exercise discipline Not for a corruptible crown, but for an incorruptible one. Today, people spend four years training, you know, 14 hours a day and going without to to go into a race that only one person's going to win. Here's the good news. We're in a race that all of us can win if we will but surrender our lives completely to the Lord and live a life that will impact eternity. Amen? Matthew 6 says, Do you not do your works to be seen by men? If you do, you have your reward. We'll be judged for what we've done, but also our motive behind it. And again, one of the things I loved about Jack was he was never looking for anybody to notice him. He just wanted to serve because he loved the Lord and he loved you guys. You know, I pray that for all of us, that instead of us trying to find a place where we can be noticed the most, We need to be in a position where God will be glorified the greatest. Amen? 
where, Lord, let them not see me, but only see you. And that's an example for every one of us to follow. Our position in heaven is based on our faithfulness to God's calling on earth. Again, not your salvation, which is a free gift. You don't earn it. But again, there's nothing I can do to enhance my salvation. I've already been justified. I'm being sanctified. One day I'm going to be glorified. But he does tell us that one day we will stand before him and be judged on how faithful we were with the gifts he gave us. Verse 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. He says the terror, the terror of the Lord. Now again, some people only portray God this way, that he's some God up in heaven with a lightning bolt waiting to smoke you when you make a mistake. We've all seen cartoons like that, haven't we? But here's the point, that's not our God. We deserve to be judged, and our God is in heaven looking down upon us with great love and compassion, desiring to pour out its grace upon us. But guys, if we do not respond to him, we will face eternal judgment, not because he didn't love us, but we didn't love him. Amen? Not because we didn't respond to the free gift of salvation that he offers universally. It is his desire that none should perish, no, not one. And the word of exhortation here is that we need to recognize that he is a God of love and grace and mercy, but because he's a holy God, there will be holy judgment. As you've heard me say before, God can't have one sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. If he allowed one sin in heaven, we got this mess all over again. Amen? It was one sin in the Garden of Eden that caused death and suffering and sorrow and pain. Pain in childbirth. I was just witnessed it firsthand with my daughter standing out in the hall. You hear it. But guys, the truth is also for every one of us that we're sinners. God can't have sin in heaven. So something must be done about our sin. And that's why Jesus came. And guys, we need to be fearful. The fear of God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If there's no fear of God, and that's what we're suffering in this country right now, there's no fear, there's no awe, there's no reverence for God. God is more likely to be mocked than to be praised. Amen? But while the world does that, and we shouldn't be surprised, we ought to be surprised when the church doesn't praise Him more. As Christians, we need to be mindful of the fact and thinking, have you ever thought about standing before God? I often do that. I try, in a sense, live my life backwards. I imagine myself standing before Almighty God on Judgment Day, looking back on my life and what would be the things that I would want to do differently. And then Lord say, okay, now I am still here. What can I do differently? May that be the heart of all of us here. The power of redemption gives us a heavenly priority, a desire to live a life that is pleasing to God in anticipation of heavenly judgment. Finally, last couple points, a heavenly passion. Look what it says in verse 12. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. The false teachers love to boast in themselves. You've heard me say this before. If you see the worldwide ministry of and someone's name behind it, be careful. Because we should never prop up our name, but only his name. Amen? We should never seek to make a name for ourselves, but to point people to the only name under heaven by which men must be saved. And we see here this this encouragement and exhortation 
when he says, we do not commend ourselves. I don't need letters of commendation from men. What he's saying is, what's really accommodates me is seeing you guys saved. What blesses me is seeing your lives changed. What is the thing that should grip the heart of a pastor or a Christian the most is seeing other people on fire for God. And he's saying, look, I don't need people to be praising my name. Let others boast on their behalf. Let others boast on who they are and what they think they are. But you know what? They boast on how they are before men, but they cannot boast on who they are before God. He says there, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. I like that term. Beside ourselves. If we're beside ourselves. Dude, that guy's outside of his mind, someone might say, right? Dude, you're beside yourself. If we're going to be beside ourselves, if we're going to be you know, serving with reckless abandon and, and it's seemingly from the world just, wow, this guy's radical. Let us be radical for him. Not for my name, not that I might be glorified, not that I might attain great things, but that God might be glorified. You know, we need a few Christians who are beside themselves. Amen? Let's get beside ourselves for Jesus. Let's be fanatics for Jesus Christ. It's okay. Amen? If anybody knew what that was like, it was Paul who wrote this letter. You've heard me say it many times. We have visitors, so I'll say it again. You know, Paul would absolutely be defined as a fanatic. And how do you define a fanatic? You can't change his mind, and he won't change the subject. And that was Paul. Amen? Here it is. Well, what about, I don't care. What about this? What about Jesus? But what, what about Jesus? One track mind. Why? Because there's only one way to heaven. Amen? And we see this great passion for God, but also to have a great simplicity before men, to be able to reach out to them. He's saying, you know, if, if you don't understand what I'm doing, I'm doing it for God, and when I minister to you, I want to make it simple so that you can understand. But Paul had had a glimpse of heaven, and he was ready to go back, and for him there was a passion for that which was eternal. It says there in verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So what should compel us to minister to others? The love of God. An example of that love is God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's the greatest example of love? Dying to yourself. It's an example of Christ's love who died that we might have eternal life. Guys, love is not esteeming self, it's denying self and laying down our lives for others. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. Don't fear the one who can kill the body, but the one who can cast your spirit into hell. Fear ye him, the Bible says. Guys, we're not to be worried about what others think. It's not for the love of man, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Amen? People have said, to be a good shepherd, you must love sheep. But I say, and true, but to be a good shepherd, you must really love the one who owns the sheep. Amen? The good shepherd. And our love for him will be reflected in the way we minister to others. It says he died for some. Is that what it says? He died for all. If you're here this morning, I can tell you unequivocally, Jesus died for you. And he would have died for only you. Why? Because he loves you. 
How do you determine the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it? How valuable are you to God? This is how valuable. He sent his son to suffer and die in your place that you might have eternal life. I don't care how many wicked, vile things you've done. I don't care where you've been, how far you've fallen. You could take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back, amen? And you know what? He desires that you come home. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to him, he would say again, today's the day of salvation. I'm holding out salvation to you. I died and would have died only for you, and I did it because I love you. Amen? He's a loving God. And guys, if we recognize that he has died for us, we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who did die for us. Our lives shouldn't be about us, but about him. Pastor Dave, that's just kind of radical. Yes, let's get beside ourselves. It's radical, amen? Let's live for him. Let's serve him. Every decision we make ought to be in light of how it's going to impact his name and him being glorified and us being able to witness to others on his behalf, amen? All of it run through the filter of the Holy Spirit. Our lives should be centered around God, living to bring glory and honor to His name, to please Him. The life of the flesh produces the mind of the flesh. Thoughts only of my flesh, what to eat, what to wear, how to satisfy myself. In the Spirit, my thoughts are about God, my love for Him, His love for me, how, how every thought changes, not just knowing about God, but having intimate fellowship with Him. Jesus Christ died to flee us from our flesh. Let's let it go. Amen? We don't want to drag the tent around any longer than we have to. We don't want to hold on to the things that are perishing and miss out on that which is eternal. Then he says this in verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. You know what he says here? From now on, we're not all that impressed with you. From now on, we don't care about your position or how popular you are with men or how much worldly stuff you've attained. It's irrelevant. Boys, again, there is an example of somebody who didn't necessarily have a great riches from the world's perspective, but was an, a man who honored God. It was Jack. Guys, it's not about how much we possess. It's not about how other people are impressed with us. Paul is saying we're not going to regard men based upon outward appearance because that's irrelevant. You know, too often in the church today, even in the church today, we're trying to, you know, have a target market of certain people we're trying to reach. And, it's, and I'm amazed how almost all those churches, they're targeting the upward mobile, upwardly mobile people who can tithe a lot and dress a certain way, and they try to, you know, pattern it. Guys, that's irrelevant. My prayer is that every person who walks in this door, no matter what their background, no matter what their state in life, they would feel just as welcomed and just as loved as if the President of the United States walked in here. Amen? Might, maybe more so, actually. But I'm kidding. We pray for him. Amen? Today, unbelievers have a fleshly view of Christ. They say he was a good man, or maybe an example to follow. Some just say he was an irrelevant, ancient character. But Paul, in the power of redemption, knew him in the Spirit as the true and living God, his Lord, Savior, God, and King, the Redeemer of his soul. So he says, look, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know know him Thus, no longer. We don't know him just according to the flesh, but we know him in our spirit. 
He's come to live inside of us. And Paul had, you know, on the road to Damascus, saw him. And others had known, you know, known Jesus, had interactions with him. But we now know him in our spirit. And the power of redemption should give us a heavenly perspective, a heavenly priority, and a heavenly passion. Living for the Lord and not for ourselves. The love of God motivates us to shed abroad his love on others. He died for all. You were made alive who were dead because of your trespasses and sins. All natural men are spiritually dead and separated from God. Physical death is separation from your body. We have nothing to fear. But spiritual death, separation from God, is a very fearful thing. If you don't know Him this morning, don't leave here without Him. Amen? Not only do we have a heavenly passion, a heavenly priority, a heavenly perspective, but a heavenly transformation. Because guys, when we've been born again, something should happen. Everything ought to change. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Notice it says all things, not some things. Amen? When you were born again, you were different. Your priorities change, your passions change, the person you were used to be changed. I don't have as much time as I'd like to go into all of it, but just real briefly, I love that the Bible doesn't hide the frailties of its heroes. The guy who wrote this book, Saul, who became Paul, what was he doing before he was saved? He was killing Christians. He was holding the coats as they stoned Stephen. He was the greatest persecutor of the church. He was enemy number one. He was Osama bin Laden. That's who he was. Can you imagine if someone came up to you and said, Osama bin Laden has walked away from Islam and he's a born-again Christian and I'd love to have him speak at your church on Sunday. Are you outside of your mind? You would want to say, dude, let me call the CIA and let him know he's going to be here. But you know, the point is this. That was Saul, but when Saul met Jesus Christ, he went from being enemy number one of the Christian church to arguably one of the greatest Christian men who ever lived, who had the greatest impact for the kingdom of God. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. The enemy wants you to keep looking back at your past and make you think you can't be used by God. Think of Saul of Tarsus. If anybody could walk around grieved and mourning and overwhelmed by his past, it was him. But instead, he said, this one thing I do, I leave that which is behind and press onward of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Whatever's behind you can be forgiven, redeemed, washed away, and separated as far as the east is from the west. You don't have to go to 50 counseling sessions to get rid of it. One word, one prayer of confession removes it forever. Amen? And guys, then we press on with him. Not only solve Tarsus, but I think of the woman at the well. She'd been married five times, now living with some man, and Jesus came and ministered to her. And we know what happened. As soon as she gave her life to the Lord, she went in and got the whole city and brought him out to Jesus. Remember that? Here's a woman. Sexual sin was a problem. She was promiscuous, and yet God still used her. So here's a religious zealot pursuing his own way, persecuting the kingdom of God. You have a woman who's sexually immoral, and yet God used her mightily. How about Mary Magdalene, who was demon-possessed? Someone you know, caught up in the occult. Many believe she was also a prostitute. Here's this woman with one of the most ungodly past you could ever see. She became a Christian, and it was said of her, he that's been, she that's been forgiven much loves much. Amen? 
And who do we see at the cross, at the foot of the cross when Jesus is crucified? Mary Magdalene. Who do we see? One of the very first people to come to the tomb when Jesus was risen. Mary Magdalene. Let's not let our past keep us from being used by God mightily in the future. Amen? We have books in the bookstore. Jeff Johnson, who was a drug addict and struggled with drugs and alcohol big time, was living in Hawaii and just spacing out. And, you know, we have his book called The Seeker back there. It's fantastic. If you've ever struggled with drugs and alcohol, you know someone who does, let me encourage you to read that. Great book. But you know what's great about it? Is at the end he gets saved and he now pastors one of the largest churches in America down in Southern California. This guy who from the world's perspective was a burned out hippie. You know, God loves to take burned out hippies and turn them into mighty men of God. And God wants to take us and use us mightily for his kingdom. And let me exhort you with this. You might say, well, I've always gone to church. and I've always been kind of, the, I don't really have much of a testimony. I've never had, all the more reason God should be using it. Amen? You don't need a radical testimony to be used by God. You know what the greatest testimony is? I grew up in a Christian home. I started serving God as a young child, and I'm still serving him today. That's a great testimony. And we shouldn't be ashamed of it, but blessed by it. Amen? I don't have to get hit by a bus to realize it's no fun. Amen? <laughs> I think we have Raul Reese's movie back there. I don't have time to go into that, but you know, we know Raul's story. Raul was this guy who was sitting on a sofa with a shotgun waiting to kill his wife. He said, if you, you know, he convinced this Christian girl to marry him. He got thrown out of the Marines for de- being too mean. He got put in the Marines because he was beating everybody up. He had a bad temper, and then he became a grandmaster of kung fu. That's a bad combination. You don't make you know, a killing machine out of a guy who's got a bad temper. And he told his wife, if you ever leave me, if you ever do anything, I will kill you. And he found out she had left. He comes home, he sees her bags packed. And you know, assuming she's going to come home to get them, he loads his shotgun. He's sitting on a sofa and he's waiting for her to come home and he's going to kill her and his children. And while he's waiting for her, he's breaking everything in his house. You've seen the movie, Fury to Freedom, we have it. He takes it and he slams the butt of the revolver against, or the rifle, against the TV, and on comes Chuck Smith. It's a true story. And while he's waiting to blow away his wife, Chuck Smith starts telling him about the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. And he is born again, and when he's born again, you see it in the movie, his wife doesn't really believe it. It's like Osama bin Laden. What? I don't think so. But over time, she sees it, and he starts a Bible study in the Kung Fu studio where he used to meet women that he cheated on his wife with. And what happened instead? He now pastors a church of about 15,000 people in Southern California, and the guy can barely speak English. I'm, I'm half kidding. You know what, man? It's really heavy. Check it out, man. Check it out. It just proves to you that this is, God is not impressed with who we are, but who he can be through us if we will let him. Amen? I just love this picture. No doubt, I don't have time again, but many here today could stand up and say, I've got a radical testimony. But whether it be adultery, fornication, or other sexual sin, whether it's been demonic oppression, getting involved in the occult like Mary Magdalene, sexual sin like the woman at the well, being self-righteous in your pride and zealous for a liar like Saul of Tarsus, all these examples could have given up And you may be here this morning thinking that you've gone too far, you've sinned too much, you've been away for too long to have a radical testimony, to be used by God. But guys, if you're still breathing, it's not too late. Amen? God can still use you, and He wants to still use you. And so, let's read the last few verses here, and we'll close. Verse 18 says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself 
through Jesus Christ. We were not reconciled by our good works, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. You were not reconciled, restored back to Him because of what you've done, but because of what He's done for you. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We turned our back on Him, and yet He reached out to us. And each one of us needs to be reconciled to God. And those of us who have been reconciled to God are now ambassadors for, for God. Guys, you ever think about that, that you're His ambassador? You're His representative at work? You're his representative in your neighborhood. Everywhere you go, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ because his Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And then it says, that is, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them as is committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's saying God is reconciling the world to himself. He's given us the word and we're to go out and share that message. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Can you hear Paul? Look, God is speaking through us. I'm going to say it this morning, not that I could carry, you know, Paul's sandals, but let me implore you in the same way. Be reconciled to God. If you're here this morning, you've been separated from him because of sin, be reconciled to God. Let today be the day of salvation. May you have the same assurance as Jack and others who've gone to be with the Lord in the last few months here in this church and everyone that's gone before them, that you too, to be absent from the body, is to be present with the Lord. The only way you can have that assurance is to be reconciled to God. And that doesn't mean going to church more, though that may be the fruit of it. Or reading your Bible more, and certainly that will be the fruit of it. Or sharing your faith with others, and that will be the fruit of it. But it's not you knocking on more doors, or trying harder, or giving up some bad habits that's going to save you. It's being reconciled. It's coming to the Lord, laying your life at His feet, and seeking His forgiveness, and not making Him just Savior, but Lord of your life. Amen? That's the desire. That's His will. And it says there lastly, notice that it took a heavenly sacrifice. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How do we become righteous? In him. How do we become righteous? Through him. He came that you and I might be made righteous. And the reason that he alone could pay the price, you might be sitting here this morning as we close thinking, well, aren't there other people claiming they have a way? Aren't there other religious books out there? Don't other people say that there's another path? Let me ask you a question. Did Muhammad raise from the dead? Did Joseph Smith, was he sinless? Were any of the other false prophets and the false gods of this world, did any of them create the universe and then come to earth and live a sinless, perfect life and then die on the cross and then three days later prove himself to be God by raising from the dead? Guess what? When they do that, they can start talking about another way. Amen? But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So this morning, you have a decision to make about Jesus Christ. Are you going to give your life to Him? Are you going to surrender to Him? If you do, you have the promise of heaven. So the power of redemption, it gives us a heavenly perspective, a longing for heaven, a heavenly priority, a desire to live a life pleasing to God, a heavenly passion. We become beside ourselves for Christ. The love of Christ compels us. A heavenly transformation. We're no longer the person we used to be, and it requires a heavenly sacrifice. Only Jesus, perfect holy God, could die that you might have eternal life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word.
And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, the Lord, as your Holy Spirit would, even now, be reaching out to them, drawing them unto yourself, Lord, that they would respond in obedience. Lord, they would respond not just out of fear of judgment, though they should fear judgment, we all should fear judgment, but Lord, out of a desire to walk in intimate fellowship with you. Lord, there's no greater life than living for you. There's no greater joy than being filled with your spirit. There's no greater peace in this life and no greater peace as those around us pass from this earthly tent into that eternal dwelling than if we know you. Lord, apart from that, there is no peace, there is no hope, there is no joy. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Lord didn't bring you here this morning by chance. He brought you here by divine appointment. If Jack had come back today, he would say to you, heaven's real. It's all about him. Nothing else matters. We know from Luke 16 that the rich man wanted to send someone back to tell his family, we're his family, we're here. If he could say to you, he would speak and say this morning, get your life right with God because eternity does matter. Eternity is real. How do you become a Christian? The Bible says in Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ, not Savior, but is Lord, you will be saved. If you're here this morning, we're not asking you to join Calvary Chapel because that won't get you into heaven, but to give your life to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. If you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven, if you realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, if that's your desire, I want to pray a simple prayer with you. But before we do that, you need to make that confession. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to raise your hand right where you sit and say, I want to know for sure I'm going to heaven. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Today's a day of salvation. You're not here by chance this morning. The Lord loves you guys so much. Truly, eternity is hanging in the balance. Don't base it on the fact that you used to go to church or you knew about God. Do you really know Him? Does this Holy Spirit dwell inside of you? If He doesn't, make today the day of salvation. Anybody else? Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you, Lord, and I just pray that each person who has raised their hand or anyone else here this morning who has this desire would repeat these words after me. If you raise your hand, I want you to repeat these words. If you can't confess them in here, it's going to be hard to live for them out there. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me for my sin, to make me a new creation to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to lay my life down before you, to live my life for you. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and he's coming back. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Bible says when one person is born again, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. That means there's a party up in heaven right now. And Jack's there. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.